0: This is The
1: Relevant Podcast. It's Friday, November 27, 2020. It's Black Friday, and this is The Relevant Podcast. In Orlando, I'm your host, Cameron Strang, and joining me from Loverland, Virginia, it's Jesse Carey. hello. Hello. From Austin, Texas, author podcaster Jamie Ivy. Hey guys, and from Nashville, Tennessee, artist producer mogul Derek Miner. What up, dude?
2: Is it too early or is this right on time?
1: Hey, I feel like it's 2020 it Thanksgiving. It's listen, all good now. We can I, listen to Christmas music. I, I feel like in
2: 2020, we honestly could have started listening to Christmas music in September and people have been like, that's all right, man. Like, <laughs> I get it.
3: I thought you were going to say August. Yes. The answer is yes. Yeah. <laughs> hey, for it's what we've officially all been through. no shame
1: today, though. Y'all yeah. early adopters had to kind of hide it because you were going to be shamed. Now, just loud and proud. You can listen to whatever yeah. you want. Mariah Carey. You can listen to whatever. It's all good. There you go. Yeah, do y'all get tired of Christmas I, I
2: will music? Say, though I, I get tired of it. Yes. I scary. get tired of it real quick. I, I don't yes. mind Christmas music. I'm not a but fan. I, I do. I I'm very very tired of of. Of the Mariah Carey album. And and listen, it is a legit <laughs> masterpiece, right? It is a pop masterpiece, okay? What's your favorite but good, Christmas album? The good
1: Lord,
3: okay? I mean, I bet Mariah Carey gets tired of the Mariah Carey Christmas uh, album. Uh, Let's be no honest. No, she don't. no, not No, she not But yeah. hey, she writes.
4: <laughs> I
2: don't think. <laughs> oh. Look, and this is Mitho and Shade. I appreciate the hustle and I appreciate the swag. I don't think Mariah Carey gets. Tired of anything related to Mariah Carey. see
1: See, th- here's my thing about Christmas music, because I love it. I love Christmas music. But it's like, on one hand, I'm tired of people doing the same songs. Like, yeah. when I was doing the music for this episode, because I'm going to play Christmas music and all the breaks, you know, like, I love Donny Hathaway's This Christmas. So I type in This Christmas to grab the song, and literally there's like 117 covers of This Christmas. And it's just like, on one hand, it's like, can we get some new songs? But then... When people try to do originals, they're terrible. I think the last Christmas original that was good was Mariah Carey's <laughs> "All I Want for Christmas Is You." I Period. mean, like, so it's like I I don't know what to do. Either it's like we just, want
3: new stuff, but yet then we don't like it.
1: Right? It's like the same twenty songs, or they're terrible attempts at new stuff that nobody likes. So I, I don't think know, you got to
4: leave it alone, man. Now I will <laughs> say, um, the Reach Records Christmas album is pretty good that <laughs> I'm on. There you go. But it's you know what I'm saying? I think it's good because I'm on it, but <laughs> at the same time, no, no, for real though. Like it's it's definitely if you're looking for something a little different and kind of like more like urban, it's a pretty good Christmas mm-hmm. album for sure. I'm not gonna lie. Also, here's another one that people don't know about that Kirk Franklin Christmas album from back in the 90s. Yes,
1: from '96. I ah, don't completely you sleep agree. on that
4: one. Don't sleep Kirk on Franklin that and one. The family. He the yeah. legend. Hey, Kirk. Kirk, that Christmas album, Kirk. It, it need to get that Mariah Carey love. You know what I'm saying? I mean, look,
2: listen, Mariah. It's it's Mariah Carey's overdue to be dethroned on this whole thing, and like, that's not me throwing shade against Mariah. She's she's uh, you know a, a pop a legit pop music queen. I'm just saying, I think at some point that the torch needs to be handed to the next
1: person. That's all.
2: That's all I'm saying, you know, but who, I do. Who
3: could even do that?
1: I, I literally was thinking like, who could be the next, who could replace Mariah Carey with the next huge thing? I was thinking of Beyonce, right? So I just typed in Beyonce. Dude, did you know Destiny's Child did a Christmas album? <laughs> I, 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 I have vague recollection of that. You know, yeah, I, I didn't Well know that. here's
3: here's the thing, like if you take okay to a very well known Beyonce and Rihanna and you're like, hey, we have an idea, Christmas album. I think they'd be like, Nope, not no. doing it. Who cares?
1: Yeah. Right.
2: Am True. I right?
3: Yeah.
1: True. It seems like all the artists that have like that middling debut. You know, it's like they didn't quite have a huge hit, but like they gotta do a quick album to kind of build the momentum before their next real album. They do a Christmas album.
2: Okay, here here's legit, here's who needs to do one is uh, John Benjamin. He is the comedian that did that experimental jazz album. Uh, Cameron, I know you know this record. It's one of my favorite uh, uh, albums. So the concept is this. He hired like a legit jazz band, okay? Like a really great studio jazz band to, to play some some uh, staples from the American jazz music, you know, catalog or whatever. And he was saying, hey, I need you guys to play. I'm a pianist. We're going to go to the studio. We'll knock these out. What he didn't tell them is he had no, he has no idea how to play the piano. And he was just going to wing it in the studio. (laughs) The result is the most hilarious album you've ever heard. Like a guy literally not knowing how to play an instrument surrounded by great musicians just trying to figure it out on the fly. I laughed. I belly laughed throughout the entire album. Uh, if he did a Christmas album, I, I it would be a gift. It would just be like, hey, you want to laugh? You want to hear these 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 studio nerds like pound out some Bing Crosby while some Joker on a on a you know Steinway just makes a fool of the whole process? I would love it. That would be my Christmas gift, John Benjamin. Do it, please.
4: Look, I just sent something that is going to be extremely enjoyable for everybody. On this uh, podcast And you will thank me later Go ahead This is my favorite Christmas song By the way Of all time
3: So I printed
5: the lyrics Of Rudolph the red Nose Reindeer I know the lyrics Would you do us the honors
2: Of spitting Rudolph the red Nose Reindeer um,
4: You know Dasher and Dancer And Prancer and Vixen Comet and Cupid and Donner and Blissin But do you recall The most famous reindeer of all This DMX the most gangster dude of all time is <laughs> doing off the red nose right there. That should be an album. I would pay for a DMX Christmas album. I would pay, I would pay um ridiculous amounts of money hey. for
2: it. Just speaking of the Christmas thing and just vibing on the season, because that's what I feel like everyone this year is just looking for an excuse just to vibe out a little, you know, Mm -hmm. just to feel good again. Have you guys noticed that people are getting really into Christmas decoration and lights right out of the gate here? Like Mm -hmm. I am. Maybe it's just now it's
1: okay. Now it's OK. People Friday uh,
2: after Thanksgiving. Yeah, because today today it's all
1: right. But like. Yeah, the people who've been, had him up for a month at this point. Yeah,
2: because they're just desperate. Everyone would just, let me ask you this. Are you guys going to go a little extra hard this year at Christmas? Because Because 2020 has just been what it is.
4: No. I'm. You know what I'm going to do? I'm going to stack all the toilet paper that I bought off the shelves at Walmart (laughs) outside my house. And that's going to be my Christmas decorations.
3: That's going to be your decorations?
4: That's going to be my (laughs) decorations. That's all I'm doing is... Work. that's what it is we've had,
3: y'all we've had our tree up for a long time because i what? record a, i record a christmas special for my podcast and youtube that makes and sense. we have to film that weeks ago and so last year our house was decorated for christmas on halloween yes it is so early but it's just your you know,
1: house went as production. christmas for halloween yes
3: yes yes yes, yes. so we've yeah. had our tree up forever already and it's already kind of boring but does it but make
1: it not as special if it's like half the year
3: No, it feels great. I love the tree. It's awesome. I could look at it all year long. It's great.
4: So here's a question I have, because uh, I don't know how you guys do this, but are you guys directly after Christmas, all the Christmas decorations come down? Or are you like me and it's like February and you're like (laughs) still pulling
2: (laughs) different stuff out? It might not be February, but I let it run. I let it run for a little bit. Yeah, there's
1: the tradition is the 12 days of Christmas are the 12 days after Christmas. That's my justification. So I can leave it up for almost two weeks after Christmas and you can't say nothing.
3: Oh, my okay. husband All is like right. by Christmas Day night. He's like, "Okay, y'all ready? Let's
1: start taking a stuff down." <laughs> I'm like, "Babe, give well, me he's like, days. Hey, in <laughs> fairness, it's been up since <laughs>
3: August, so it's
2: already been, been up for a third of the year. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. exactly. No, I, I'm lucky on Christmas Day if I'm not wading through wasty wrapping paper like that. That's what, what like Christmas Day for us is just like a. a, a the, it's great, but it is savage. Like just stuff everywhere. You know, you're climbing over hot Wheels that stresses boxes, me out the, the, so much the, oh I don't mind I don't mind I it's the one day Christmas morning into evening is the one time being basically a hoarder is acceptable because you've got all the presents everywhere you've got it you've got all the, the the wrapping paper and look you just want to kick back watch a little b ball it's Christmas Day you know, you don't want a chore. You know, the worst thing too, and the other get all assembly out of the way before Christmas morning. Mm, right. Yes. Right. I spent far right. too many Christmases the whole day building elaborate, you know, weird kid stuff or a yep. furniture. Get that out mm. of the way. It's a little Christmas pro tip there
3: yeah oh goes. am yeah. I the one with the oldest kids on here my oldest is 16 yes yeah, yeah, yeah for sure listen guys we're not building anything at the ivy house anymore now we're like you want your what you want for Christmas costs how much money oh my gosh like what you want a, an external monitor for your camera I mean just wait you guys there's no more building it's just you're money. buying money <laughs> Money.
4: You swap building for money?
3: Yep, yep. <laughs>
4: <laughs> hey, honestly,
2: Dang. I've had my hand smashed by so many little Ikea, little hammers. I'll switch out for money. I don't care.
1: I'm done with those Allen wrenches. <laughs> well, we have a great show in store for you today. Coming up later, we have director Ron Howard. Who? Like oh, <laughs> Hollywood so royalty. Hey, Ron Howard. So hey, you guys dope. know
3: something about Ron Howard? Leticia Wright. People? Pharrell.
1: Oh, yeah. Ron Howard. I'm sorry. It's just the killing hits it. keep on coming. Yeah.
3: Um, I get people tell me all the time that my husband looks like Ron Howard. And I think my husband is like so attractive. I'm so into him. Right. Yeah. I'm not into Ron Howard. So there's that. But people tell me that they look alike. Is it, it,
1: your husband bald?
3: He has really. She keeps his hair really short. I've and only
1: seen him in hats. So I just I know. don't know. So it's I, a I, I,
3: I don't want to throw him under the bus or anything. But, you know, it's a little thin back there. Well,
1: so I mean, maybe when he's a little older, Ron Howard. Cameron, who did the right Ron did, Howard?
2: Who did the Ron Howard interview? Tyler, our very own Tyler Huckabee. He should have had him like say hey before we wrap up can we just script a couple things like and no he didn't actually not like just like the Arrested Development narrator voice like you should have just had him lay down a bunch of those so you could just pipe them in at customized times but you know maybe we'll
1: have another opportunity to have Ron Howard narrate the relevant podcast I like it
5: (laughs) yeah
2: (laughs) exactly exactly. like it would be for example hey guys I'm really excited I got a great slice today and Ron Howard would be like actually it's a pretty mediocre slice (laughs) (laughs) like
1: we have a great show in store for you today <laughs> turns out they didn't Yeah. Kind of yeah. Uh, for this week's wellness segment coming up later uh, we talked to health and fitness expert Tana Amen uh, T- we talked to her as well uh, with that segment that we've been doing you know it's it's the day after Thanksgiving gluttony you know people are thinking man I gotta shed a couple for all those Christmas parties you know mm, so yeah. that's why we're helping you out later on the show today I
4: just let it go that <laughs> From Thanksgiving to January 2nd, it's just... Uh, it's uh, let's, yeah, off the table. It's, it's, just, just, it's just Jerry Falwell, Dude. belly button out. <laughs> out.
2: That's
1: why we're doing a wellness segment right now because that's been everybody's 2020. You yeah, know, like cool, we're just man. sitting around. Like I'm not going out. I don't need to look good. I'm not getting dressed up for anything. Just let's uh, Jerry Falwell this thing. You know, that's that's like, it, let's try that's to That's gonna get be in. the
3: new saying.
1: Hey. Falwell. That can mean a lot of stuff. That can mean a lot of stuff.
2: A lot of stuff. A lot. Be careful saying that one. Oh, you're overeating. Yeah. Thank God. I thought, okay, that's fine. That's fine. I. Okay. Woo. Oh, I thought I needed to say something there. You, you mean you're overeating. Okay. Fall well. Oh, my God. Okay. So we're good. We're good, I think.
4: Uh, belly button out,
1: baby. That's me. All right. Stay tuned. Up next, it's Relevant News.
4: Hang on the mistletoe. I'm going to get to know you better. This Christmas, and as we trim the tree, how much fun it's gonna be together. This Christmas, the fireside's blazing bright. We're caroling through the night. And this
1: Christmas, we'll be... You're listening to Donny Hathaway. The song is This Christmas. The original, there's about 300 covers. Well, today's show is brought to you by UHSM. These days, finding affordable quality healthcare is more difficult than ever. So if you're looking to save up to 50% on your healthcare expenses, listen up. You don't have to wait around hoping healthcare will improve in the U.S. Instead, join millions of Christians who are choosing health share memberships like UHSM. UHSM is a nonprofit Christian health share with the sole mission of helping you achieve your best health. Protect your health with modern health sharing from UHSM, including programs with prescription benefits from CVS Caremark, no-cost telehealth visits, and access to 1 million doctors and providers. Satisfy your medical needs and save up to 50% with UHSM HealthShare. UHSM is member-to-member health sharing, and it's awesome. See why millions are choosing this Christian alternative to traditional insurance. Ask if you qualify for UHSM membership today. Call or text 833-367-8476. That's 833-367-UHSM. Or visit uhsm.com slash care. That's uhsm.com slash care. Check it out. They're awesome. All right. It's time for... So soothing. Uh, Welcome to the show. Relevant senior editor, Tyler Huckabee, to tell us what's happening this week at the intersection of faith and culture.
5: Hey, Tyler. Hey, everybody. Uh, What's going
1: on this week other than holidays and election transitions?
5: Can I before we get into it? Can I? I'm sure you all have covered this. I just wasn't here for it. Jesse's wearing sunglasses. Is this going to be just his? Is his thing now? Like, actually, like actually, a band? Is it? Actually, like he's, Tyler,
1: it's a migraine thing. Yeah, so we're, well, we didn't talk about it. It's, a, no, it's, it's okay. okay. I made a joke about it earlier too. So off, off,
2: off it's yeah, not on the yeah, show. Yeah, though, yeah. So yeah, yeah you, but, you but what if I was, was? What if Tyler? You know, you know let's just. I'm just going to say it. I don't care if listeners hear this. Okay. I, I, I get migraines sometimes and I have to wear sunglasses because I get incredibly sensitive to light, but it has made me think like, what if I was just sunglasses guy and I didn't offer an explanation? I would just, <laughs> like at what point does someone just decide I'm sunglasses indoors guy? Like, like I appreciate Bono? that in
5: people. Yeah, exactly. Like, like Bono can just get away go with, with it. it. Yeah. Bono's a rock star. But Bono's, Bono
4: is Bono. But Bono's Bono whatever, like whatever he just, wants.
1: He's just like colored glass though. I mean it's yeah, not like, yeah, you know what I mean? Yeah, it's like he's looking at the anymore. world through a red filter. Yeah. Hey, have right. you
2: noticed this when 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 like it's I've only seen it happen with a couple of actors, right? But when you get to a certain level of just like unmitigated cool you make very terrible eyewear decisions, okay? Like, yeah. Bono's a great one because, no, you know, he's wearing those indoor sunglasses. But Brad Pitt went through a phase too, where he's wearing, like, half sunglasses all the time just because he's Brad Pitt. It's not a great look, but he just reached that Bono level where who's going to say anything on Brad Pitt? That's you know? the
1: thing. It's like he's surrounded by people who will only tell him he looks good. Russell, like, Westbro- no hey, Russell Westbrook's another one who yep. very...
2: Ridiculous, he's wearing Sally Jesse Raphael glasses, but no one's going to tell him they're ain't cool. because know?
1: like then you're not cool because you don't even understand how cool this is. Yeah, so you can't call it out. I mean, you just look silly. This yeah, ain't but, gonna age but, well, but you're you gonna know?
2: end up on a BuzzFeed list to go in like 10 years, and it's like, here's 15 Worst celebrities classics. who made terrible eyewear decisions in the 2000s, you know?
1: Well, and I, it's I'll like, tell you who's not on that list, you. That's he, right. you're he, he, rocking those Ray-Bans. Mm-hmm. That's right. These are classic guys. It's the lower stakes
5: version of the pastor thing we've talked about, where pastors always need somebody who can tell them, hey, you're getting off base here. We, we need to check. In. So to worry about that. <laughs> Nobody cares. But the fashion-wise, they do. You need somebody who you look ridiculous. You, you, this, is, this is not cool, and it's never going to be cool.
2: Yeah. Hey, homie, I see what you're going for, but tassels, I just, I don't <laughs> think they're happening. I, you know, this is me. This is what accountability is all about.
5: All right. Relevant news this week. Uh, Let's start off by talking a little bit about um, the the, while the president has not yet uh, technically conceded the election. uh, President elect Joe Biden is kind of moving ahead. He seems to be more or less ignoring what the Trump administration is doing. He may not even be totally aware of what's going on. And he's starting to float some names for possible cabinet positions among those names. There's a guy by the name of Tony Blinken. He is being floated for a potential secretary of state position. He's a well-known advocate for global alliances. So this would be a pretty big shift from the Trump administration. He was deputy. He was the deputy secretary of state during the Obama administration, got a very long resume. And can include among his many accomplishments a meeting with the delegates from Sesame Street. This was the most looked at story on Relevant Magazine yesterday. Uh, <laughs> there was a clip uh, back in 2016 when he was Deputy Secretary of State. Blinken went on Sesame Street. He spoke with a Sesame Street delegate, Grover, about uh, he talked <laughs> about something that's actually pretty close to the heart of to all of our hearts here at Relevant about refugees. Clark, I got I a little bit of, a little clip from that you can play that. One of the issues we're going to talk about is something really important. Refugees.
4: Oh, Deputy Secretary Tony Blinken from the State Department. I know all about refugees. You do? Of course I do. They are the ones
0: who (gasps) wear striped shirts and blow whistles at soccer games. Uh,
1: No, Grover, that's referee.
2: (laughs) I'm talking about refugees. These are people who've had to leave their homes because life in their countries was not safe for them. Grover, can you imagine how difficult
5: it would be to have to leave your home? No, I cannot. I would never want to leave Sesame Street. I cannot imagine leaving my apartment or, or my pet turtle Rufus behind. Well, well Grover, oh. sadly, refugees have to leave
2: everything behind. Communities, schools, friends, even all of their favorite things. And all kinds of people are refugees. And even though they come from many different places, they're just like you.
5: Oh, like my friends
1: on Sesame Street. We are all different in some ways, but in a lot of other ways, we are the
2: same.
4: That's right. And we all have something to learn and gain. From one so they, they I love that, for, guys.
5: Green. Pretty good. I mean, pretty know. decent. It's actually worth It's about a three minute clip. And I'll be honest, I, I thought I thought Grover, you know, he's a little slow on this one, but I thought <laughs> I left. <laughs> I, I Seems left like left you left should left know. This. To, the referee line got me, though. That was good. It, it yeah. was a good one. It yeah. <laughs> like, like, that, but
2: uh, he lives in a trash can, not under a rock, okay? <laughs> we know <laughs> the difference. That's, that's Oscar. He, Oscar. Oscar the Grouch. No, lives in well, a trash can. Grover has less than
3: He's in an apartment, he says. He's less Yeah. He's yeah. <laughs> got a
5: whole pet turtle. He, did he hear Rufus? He's got a whole pet turtle. <laughs> So this is kind of like we, as you might imagine, the Biden administration's shift on this is potentially going to be the biggest thing they bring to the U.S. foreign policy situation. Um, The Joe Biden has said that he will boost the U.S. annual refugee cap to 125,000. That's an enormous jump. It's currently at 15,000, but it is a return to sort of the pre-Trump era stage. This isn't historically that big of a number, but it definitely is a shift from where it's been over the last four years years. Um, And this is going to be kind of a good thing for a lot of our friends and faith groups who work with refugees, who've had to see their budgets slashed, obviously seen their work slashed because there just hasn't been enough federal funding and certainly not enough work to go around in terms of uh, bringing refugees here to the country. So uh, that part is definitely going to be a a boon to, uh, to a lot of faith groups out there. Uh, While the Biden administration is likely to face steep opposition from certain faith groups as well, particularly on the abortion front, Blinken's likely nomination does appear to be a sign that Biden intends to follow through on promises he's made regarding refugees. Interesting. I I, I think uh,
2: refugees are, uh, you know, a paramount issue, in my opinion. I think it's awesome what the, uh, you know, incoming administration is doing to, uh, you know, make America a destination and place that can assist the world's most vulnerable. I also think that... We should be more open to political discourse through the lens of Grover because it makes it's honestly more watchable than most of the political analysis. Sense. Yeah, <laughs> because because yeah, I feel like if it's Grover's talking about something. It automatically shows like if something's ridiculous and Grover's talking about it, then it's like, but then Hunter Biden's emails showed up on a laptop. But Rudy Giuliani said it was left And there's clues about Ukraine. And then you can just be like, Grover, what literally are you talking about right
1: now? That's a a really good Grover, Jesse. That's a very convincing Grover. Considering you didn't know where he lived. (laughs) That's pretty good, right?
2: (laughs) But Hillary's emails from this private (laughs) server?
1: (laughs) <laughs> so, so in your in your uh, world here, Grover is the conspiracy right wing conspiracy exactly. theorist. And then okay. when, but when yeah. he says stuff, I thought it automatic- you were saying like you wanted Sesame Street to like host C-SPAN or something. No, right? no. To just I want bring some to, levity. Okay.
2: And it can be on either side too. It can just it just like the ridiculous arguments. Just have Grover say them because Elmo it automatically- seems like a
1: leftist to me. Grover yeah. 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 Elmo, well, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, radical com- uh, com- like, com- a,
5: like a Marxist. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. That yeah. comrade Uh-oh. Big Bird. Yeah. Yeah. Elmo wants to share
1: everything he's uh-huh. a socialist no, yeah. socialist for sure yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah yeah isn't there
2: isn't there like a the the count the you know he's yeah he's, the- he, mm-hmm. he he's missed. he's he's the capitalist he's the one's you know really concerned about numbers and things you know so
1: <laughs> so the count is the the, the treasury secretary
2: Ex- exactly yeah, okay. exactly yeah
1: yeah oh he's like he's like uh CNBC, the finance coverage. Yeah,
2: yeah. yeah got he's, it. Yeah, he, he's, he, he's got a half hour after Kramer, after Jim yeah. Kramer's on, after Mad <laughs> yeah. Money, you know? Yeah.
5: The Steve Mnuchin of the. the, of the, yeah. the yeah. Yeah. Um, other new, we've got a, this is sort of an interesting study uh, that confirms something that we've sort of been seeing, but it, it's interesting to see uh, another study that affirms this for the time being. So it's the second. Uh, it's it's the second annual religious freedom index, which is a report just on how Americans are feeling about religious freedom. Okay, and this is put uh, this is sponsored by this law firm called Beckett, and they found something that was sort of a little maybe a little bit unexpected over the course of quarantine, which is that uh, no age group over the course of this year has relied on faith more than Generation Z, more than the Zoomers have. Huh. Okay, so, seventy four percent of Gen Z responders said faith was at least somewhat important. That's a higher number than any other generation. Uh, on average, 62% of all Americans across all age groups, 62%, said faith was at least a little bit important for making it through COVID-19. 64% of the silent generation, for the most part, the oldest generation, agreed. That made them the second most likely generation to say faith was at least somewhat important. And Gen X was the lowest at 56%. And actually, Gen Z was also the most likely to say that faith had been extremely important to them. 51 percent said wow. the least important to say faith was it extremely important. Millennials, 31%. Uh, so a pretty what? big gap here. And it's and it's a little hard to know what to make of this yet. Gen Z is still too young to extrapolate a whole lot of predictive data about what this means for the future of the country, the future of faith in America. It's possible that some for some Gen Z members, they're still at home, they're still with their parents, so they're still kind of glomming on to the faith that their parents gave them. That can change. It typically does change a little bit after they graduate and get out into the world. But it also could be a pendulum swing away from sort of the declining faith that we've seen over the past few generations they've seen that they don't like how it's worked out for older generations so gen z could be seeing sort of a return to the sort of levels of faith that we saw more in the 50s and 60s wow.
3: okay and just remind me gen z is like the youngest people right now
5: the oldest gen z right now is bound depending on which metric you're using you're talking about 24
3: 25 years old okay and then next after that millennials okay got it I- got it I, I yeah. Think so
1: millennials are yeah twenty four to upper thirties. It's about fifteen years, and then you've got uh, Gen Z is between ninety seven and twenty fifteen or so. Yeah. That that's that's Gen Z. Or yeah, yeah. I, I Which have is that- crazy. Because like to your point, uh, t- Tyler, I agree. A, bu- a big chunk of them are still living at home. Yeah, but but they're in households that. Uh, that are Gen X parents.
5: You're, you're or talking Gen, about Gen or, X potentially Gen X parents, and Gen X yeah. is
1: the lowest of mm-hmm. the oh, that's faith thing. that's yeah. So that doesn't make sense to me other than they've seen their parents reject faith and maybe they're clinging to it more than people expect it. Or, I, I have a theory
2: about that. And this is do anecdotal. Tell. Can it, you
1: do it in the voice of Grover?
2: So <laughs> <laughs> my thinking is the spiritual, but not, I think, you know, that, that generation has shown sort of an affinity for... You know, taking stands on like moral, ethical and social issues, Uh, equality seems to be very important, but they also seem to be. and, And I think we've we've ran other studies in the past that indicated that they kind of have a feeling that they're spiritual but not religious. I feel like other sh- studies have right. shown, especially Gen Z, they're very empathetic. You know, you look everything from, uh, you know, after a school shooting or, you know, some of the loudest voices for climate change advocacy are in Gen Z and and that kind of identifying as spiritual but not religious. My, I have a theory about that term and people who so kind of self-identify as that is that Eventually, that distinction goes away. Like, I feel like the older people get, they realize that spirituality and religion don't have to be mutually exclusive things, that they kind of slowly merge. And that spirituality that they've come to embrace eventually makes them, quote-unquote, more open to religion, even if they didn't self-identify that. Because I feel like any kind of spiritual impulse will ultimately lead you into a direction of some sort of religion, hopefully— You know, to 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 Christianity, the teachings of Christ. But I actually think that impulse, if it's planted in somebody young, will turn them religious later in life. That's again, I don't have evidence for that, but it seems to be something that's observable, at least anecdotally, you know, Mm -hmm.
3: So you're saying Mm. this is a good thing if what we're looking at this. For for sure, for sure. I
2: I get encouraged when I hear someone say I'm spiritual but not religious because like, Mm -hmm. well, that's a great impulse. You know, like I would, I think it's more important for someone to say that than say I'm religious but not spiritual. Like I feel like it's, you're better off saying, look, I feel some sort of impulse. I don't know what it is, and I don't feel comfortable assigning some sort of institutional understanding to it, but I want to chase this, you know, because I do feel like, you know, the Holy Spirit will lead people in the right direction than someone saying, I'm religious, but I'm not spiritual at all. I don't, you know, right. like, it's like I law feel, abiding. Yeah, a, yeah. Exactly. And I think that's maybe why you're, we're kind of seeing this swing in the generation. Again, anecdotal. But Tyler, do you, do you feel like that kind of squares with some of the studies you've read?
5: Yeah, I mean, I think it it does. And it's important to remember here that we're talking pretty soft science so far. And there's a, and like you said, and this is true, this has been shown to be true in in lots of Barner research as well. Um, The question of when the word faith or the word spirituality just means different things to different people. Mm -hmm. And it's really hard to, to, figure out in a survey like a simple survey question what people mean when they when you say rely on faith well a lot of people have a different idea about what that could look like and it's going to mean one thing to the greatest generation gen x boomers than it does to gen z and millennials so until we get a better metric for defining that that's another reason it's be important to not extrapolate too much out of that data but definitely true that the definition of what faith looks like or how it manifests or what praxis is uh for younger generations from millennials that there's a big divide between millennials and uh and uh older generations on that one especially all right, what else you got? The last thing we want to talk about a little bit is uh, we're coming into what's usually sort of the the uh, if it's been a rough year for Hollywood, they look to December to pull them out of the the slump because the Christmas movie season is always is always big and always pulls in a lot of money. That is probably not going to be the case this year, uh, as Jamie, our insider on theater, going knows, uh, <laughs> there's not going to be a lot of our, our roving reporter on the ground. So we we're seeing did you, movies. Tyler, Tyler,
1: before you get into what you bring yeah, in, did yeah, you yeah. see did you see the news? News that last week the last weekend the weekend coming into Thanksgiving which as you just said is the kickoff to the big holiday box office the number one movie in America is the movie Freak and the total box office for that movie to be number one was 1.2 million dollars
3: oh my gosh the no, lowest I heard of this movie. the lowest That's number rough.
1: one in movie history wow, wow. which is because there's like seven theaters open mm-hmm. New York's totally shut down LA's totally shut down Uh, They just closed 400 Regals again. I mean, it's like...
3: Don't worry, my son's still working, guys. There you go.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Jamie was... Jamie's family
5: was 30% of the national box office. Really really blurring the line between first and last responder over there in the Ivy household. (laughs) (laughs) So in the middle of all this, and you probably saw this was announced last week, but this was a... What could end up being a pretty seismic moment in the film industry, which is when uh, Warner Brothers announced that Wonder Woman 1984, which is supposed to be their big 2020 temple movie, expected to pull in at least a billion dollars, they announced wow. would be releasing on HBO Max on the same day that it releases in movie theaters on Christmas Day. So they could be take. They could be looking at upwards of a billion dollar hit on this, but wow. they're just, just they're saying this is what the this is what life and movies looks like at least for this era and potentially. For every era moving forward shortly after that <sighs> disney followed suit with soul that their big pixar offering this year which was again gonna make in a lot of money for them is now going straight to disney plus on christmas day both of these movies every reason to think they're good every reason to think they'd be profitable in a different time but they're just not happening right now and that could will that be the case moving forward for movies even post even after the vaccine starts rolling out we just don't know but it's Kind of looking like the era of going to movies as we knew it is maybe not ever going to really return.
4: I wonder how the Mulan movie did because they that was the first came straight to Disney. Did not do very well. Well, because they tried
5: to charge thirty bucks for it. Yeah, yeah. We don't know, but they the fact that they're not the 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 assumption was that if that worked well. That's what they would have done for all of, for Soul, for a Black Widow, Uh they would have started doing that for all of their big movies, and they have not followed suit on any of those yet. So, the assumption is it underperformed pretty significantly.
4: So, for Soul, they're not charging. It's just going straight to the...
5: If you've got a Disney Plus membership, then you'll be able to see Soul on Christmas Day.
4: Oh, that's devastating. This
5: is kind of surprising to me because, you know, Cameron,
2: I know you and I were, you know, talking basketball the other day, and about, you know, how... The the NBA will still have a version of fans and, and, and gathering people.
1: In some arenas, not, yeah, it, not all. But yeah. yeah.
2: But I also feel like from what I've read and probably Cameron, some of the buzz that you've heard, you know, I know you and I are both sports fans and don't just like sports themselves, but like the business of sports, too, are very both interested in that. And that it seems like most league ob- uh, uh, executives are projecting that the there is a future on the horizon where, you know, crowds, crowds once again gathering will be somewhat commonplace once again. I mean, you, we saw in like Thailand a week ago where they hadn't had a positive COVID case in like 200 days. You know, they're much more aggressive early on with lockdowns and things like that, but they had a big gigantic outdoor music festival with people packed in, you know, like when vaccines become widely available and distributed, do you guys think that people are going to be returning to movie theaters? And if you're a studio executive, do you just punt the movies till the spring when people are getting vaccinated and going back to the movies. I don't know if this is forever. What do you guys think?
3: I think people will go back. I mean, right now we're seeing like I'll take, you know, in Austin, for example, we have really high numbers here in Texas. You know, we hit the first the first state with a million cases. So it's really high. We're at stage four again out of stage five in Austin. But yet it feels like when you look around, people are like, I just want life to back to normal. And so they're still taking precautions, but they're doing things that they weren't doing in March, if that makes sense. And so um, I think people are going to be craving to get back to quote unquote normal, whatever that might be.
4: I can't wait. I'm not even going to lie. Mean, I'll, like the I'll get my tickets
3: back to the Texas games next year. I mean, like, I can't wait to go back to that. You know, that's something yeah. that we had to, you know.
4: Like I, I don't even want to exp- and and I might be tripping, but I, I'm not even really trying to even experience the movies, how they're happening now. Like I want packed movie theater full of people where when the moment happens, the whole theater goes, yeah. you know what I mean? Like, I want that. Like, I love mm-hmm. that experience. Um. So, yeah, I, I'll tell you, as soon as things begin to, to look safe or, you know, we figure out what's what, that's what I'm. That's what I'm banking on is that, but I don't think I, I think it can be both. I think that the movie theaters can come back, and they're still releasing stuff on HBO Max early or um, Disney Plus early too. So I, I don't know. Am I the I only one that's been to
3: a movie during COVID? Mm-hmm. Wow! Yeah, Sorry, I guys. It'll be
1: it'll be yeah. interesting. I, there's a lot of organizations, including <laughs> travel. I mean, like travel is a big debate right now because it's holiday weekend. Uh, Qantas Airlines uh, said that they're going to impose a policy once the vaccine is available, that they're going to require a card showing that you've had the vaccine before they'll allow you to fly on the airlines and other other major airlines are going to follow suit. I think that's going to become what the major gathering places are going to start doing. The theme parks, the music festivals, it's like, okay, if you want to come gather maskless and kind of have that normalcy, you need to show us that you're clean. You know what I mean?
3: I don't know what I feel about that.
4: I, I don't like that. I don't I, like that. I think that's very scary.
3: It's like that girl in your videos, Derek, where she got it. Yeah. She got it. And then
4: she, <laughs> Maybe she was right. Yeah.
1: <laughs> but, like, they go into a, a Magic game. They reached out and they were testing the waters about some of the policies that they're going to experiment with to ensure a safe environment for a limited number of fans. And they were just asking feedback of, like, if this was required, what would you think? If yeah. this was required, what would you think? And one of the things the NBA is uh, planning to do for the arenas that can have some limited fans for the new season is that they will administer rapid testing upon entry. Or you have to bring a thing that says in the last 48 hours you've been tested and that mm-hmm. you're negative and that uh, you have, will have to wait for that 15 minutes to get cleared to enter the building. And and it's like I think it's gonna be that. So maybe if you I don't want to do have that. the vaccine, you're just gonna have to prove that you you get tested before you can enter any of these places. I think that's gonna be 2021
4: for a lot that's of places. Yeah, I, I would
3: do I'll that. I'll take
4: a test. I, you could take my me temperature. Too. I'll take a test. But I don't. Th- I think that if you tell me that I have to put a vaccine in my body to come to your establishment, I'm out on that. I just I don't think that's cool. What if I What if I just don't? You know what? Especially. As a minority, like minorities, vaccines and different things like that, they affect us differently because our bodies are different. But most of the time, the people that they're like, yo, this is 90% effective. It's 90% effective on a white body. You know what I mean? So for me, I'm very selective with what I put in my body, especially when it comes to like pharmaceuticals and, and things of that nature. So like, I, I, for me, I'm out. Like, if you're telling me I got to get a vaccine, I'm out there. But you could take, you could take a test. You can put the... Put that big, long Q-tip up my brain or whatever you trying to do. I'm down with that. But, bro, you're not going to make me put no syringe in my arm. I'm just but not doing
1: I, it. I just think the America, major gonna establishments are going to find a way to ensure the safety so you can gather with a peace of mind that it's safe here Mm -hmm. and I don't have to be all skittish and all this, because that's what it's going to take is that people feel comfortable again. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. you know, you you get get three choices. There
3: is something about this movie thing that makes me really sad though. You guys, this would be our eighth anniversary on Christmas day to go to Alamo draft house. It's a movie theater here in town that you can eat at. And we have one in Orlando. Okay. Awesome. So Alamo draft house, they do these quote alongs. And every Christmas day, we go to an elf quote-along. My kids dress up. Oh, they've got reindeer onesies man. on. We like go. the this would be our, elf. Yes. Like the, yeah, eighth yeah. year. And we can't do it. So that's just added to the list of things that we we're missing out sucks. on. I know. But we'll go see another movie, you guys, where my son's working.
4: Side note, Elf <laughs> is not the done. greatest Christmas movie of all time. Don't debate Hands
3: me. down.
2: It, no a, lot, debate. a lot of places near me are doing this thing. You, you get three options. You can either you know do the COVID yeah. test. Do a quick uh, wash of bleach in the lungs, quick inject, <laughs> or just a blast of UV, and I think you're good. From my understanding, <laughs> you can go back get in that theater, get to that hotel. You know, just blast some UV. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> It's, it's too Leave funny. Twenty twenty was too so funny. Jesse. There was so much comedy we left on the table. Can we just all admit <laughs> that it was so it was so weird for a while? Everyone was so angry. Can we just all look back at all the comedy that was just left
1: on the table? The fact, you're, the fact that the leader of the free world was having a pandemic update, daily update, and was up there with the eyes of the globe watching him riffing about possible ways maybe we could be cured, speculating, speculating. <laughs> In front of the world is just mind boggling. That's what I'm saying. My man so was much, the, bro. The, the, he was freestyling every, just like, I don't know. What do y'all think? Yeah? Yeah. It's a leader of the free world, man. You're not in a meeting right now. You're on camera. So how about this? How about this?
2: Tanning salons instead of hospitals. I don't know. I don't know. I'm just saying. Why not? It doesn't yeah. like the light. But I mean, <laughs> let's just do more. My point is that I'm not trying to be like political or, or snarky. I'm just saying, let's just we're, we're, we're we can see the other side of of all of this. Don't you think that there was just mountains of comedic gold that we all were just like, guys, no one's got the energy for this anymore. But now it's like, what are it's we like doing? This was hilarious. It's like yeah. yeah, it's too I, say,
5: I do got to say there was, there was a report in The New York Times yesterday from Maggie Haberman, who's their Washington uh, reporter. They're, they're kind of their star talent right now. And she reported that uh, one thing that is helping, you know, it's been kind of a, a rough day for the president, rough week for the president. But he does this week have his favorite presidential activity, his favorite yep. thing to do as president, which is uh, pardon those turkeys. Uh, this year, it's <laughs> corn and cob are two turkeys who get the... Now, I, I, I thought about this a little bit. I have some problems with the president. It seems kind of weird, the part, like, we'll pardon turkeys, but we're not pardoning people on death. I, you know, that, there's, like, moral... There's right, some moral in, some ethical issues sure. with it. But I couldn't laugh too hard because... I think if I was president, it'd also be my favorite thing. Like that would Jeez. be that would that would rock. It's like your little petting zoo, and you get to go hang out with turkeys. It'd and and cool. plus,
2: who's gonna criticize it? Who's not gonna? What kind of sociopath is gonna be like? no, just kill corn and cob. That would show them. It's like no, no. This is the one thing a president can do that universally is like that was kind of cool. At least corn and cob are still yeah. having a good day. You know, at least you know.
0: And I gotta tell my kid what happened to
2: corn and cob. Oh, well, they're getting eaten tonight. Corn you know? and cob. yeah. It's like yeah. that make that is Tyler you're right man if there's one thing that can unite a divided America even just for a moment it's watching corn and cop <laughs> live another day you yeah. know yeah. at the discretion. discretion at the discretion of the leader of the free world yeah. exactly i exactly. love it
1: all right thanks Tyler for more uh <laughs> coverage like that check out everything we're posting every day at Magazine.com. stay tuned up next Ron Howard joins us late night
6: with that's a
4: big invite Colorblind to the black and white Show you love and feel alright Just to join, bro It's the joint, Wait, we bro. Pry, we it's vibe it, we cut a future bright Stuck right. together and we hold it tight Stand down through the dynamite right. All aboard on the freedom ride. We ride Time to sail down the riverside go. Keep going, never satisfied God did the glory And I'm still trying to pray for normal violence oh. bet
1: We are listening all to All is bright, bright Featuring Wanda, 1K Few, and Derek Minor. It's on hey. The Gift, the Christmas compilation from Reach Records. Go check it out. It's got a good cover, too. Derek, I got a question about Christmas compilations, because that that is, uh. re- they're
2: reliably fun to listen to, because they're always, like, people are mixing it up. You get a variety of artists and styles of, uh, of songs. Do you pick the song, or or does the label, like, hey, man, will you do whatever? How does that work?
4: Uh, so, most of the time, what happens with me, especially when it's a feature, they're just, like, hey, we have... This record, we think you'll be a good vibe on. Here, check this out. And usually, you just you just hop on it or say, "Nah, that's whack." So yeah, yeah. It's it's, it's most of the time it's the producer or the executive producer that kind of picks and chooses who goes on what with who. You oh, know what I mean? You. Gotcha. And you just kind of just decline or or accept whether you want to be on that record. Sometimes you'd be like, "Yo, send me something else." And they might shoot you something else, but you know it's yeah. all about vibes and creativity. Yeah.
1: Ron Howard is an Academy Award-winning film director, producer, and actor. You may or may not remember his role on The Andy Griffith Show as a kid, which I still watch, or his narration on Arrested Development. But these days, he spends the majority of his time behind the camera, creating films like Cinderella Man, Apollo 13, Star Wars Solo, and countless others. We recently sat down with Ron to talk about his new movie, Hillbilly Elegy, uh, why this story was personal for him, and why he's so drawn to movies about real life. Here is Ron Howard.
3: I thought your mama was going to be all right. Be happy.
6: I know I could have done better. But you, you got to decide you want to be somebody or not. I've been doing real good. When I read I the, the book, down I really related to the characters. Uh I found the book very interesting, but what caught my eye and sort of uh, you know uh, my my piqued my curiosity were the the family members. And and one thing jumped out at me because my family uh uh roots are in Oklahoma and um a uh, small town in Oklahoma, Duncan, and and then farm country. My dad was from a farm, and uh, I called my great grandmother Mamaw, and I I thought that was just her nickname. I didn't realize that there was it was a broadly used cultural you know n- name for grandmothers. Uh, so that was one of the things that caught me right away when I when I read the book. When I started talking to JD about it. And learning even more about his family story and, and frankly, hearing his voice, his accent, his cadences, it just felt very, very familiar to me, even though, you know, my people are, are, are from the Midwest and in and his uh, Kentucky and, and then in Ohio. But I've been interested in trying to find a family story um, that. Uh, that dealt with kind of rural America in a in a in a way that I could I could connect with, um, and um, and relate to, and I and I began to believe that uh, hillbillyology was it, and I'm really I'm really glad I had the opportunity to to make the movie. there's something very powerful in choosing a subject where um, you know, you can witness something extraordinary. It happened. And uh, it's not, and, and you, you present it to an audience, not as fiction, not as something you wish could happen, but as, as, as something that has occurred. And I, I think that in the relationship between the storyteller and the audience uh, it's kind of that understanding in some ways Allows the filmmaker to be, uh, to take even bigger risks, uh, with characters. When audiences know it's based on, on a true story, they, they tune in in a slightly different way. It's kind of a different sort of an exchange. It's, it's, uh, it's still meant to be exciting, exhilarating, emotional, dramatic, you know, and, 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 uh, and entertaining in those ways. But you kind of connect with audiences. Um, hearts and minds in a slightly different way. And that, that appeals to me. Now, as a kid, I always loved history. The first film I ever made that was a serious film was actually a documentary about the depression that I made when I was in high school. Um, and, uh, and so I've always been fascinated by, by, by true stories. I was just afraid to delve into them. I was a kid on the Andy Griffith Show. Andy um, used to get very upset about the Beverly Hillbillies because he'd say that that's farce and that's okay, but we're not the Beverly Hillbillies. He didn't mind that the Beverly Hillbillies was successful or anything; it didn't bother him at all. But when when the writing would sort of push things in a in a farcical direction, he would say. Look, where I come from, those people they're 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 pl- they're plenty funny on their own. <laughs> we don't have to reach that ho- that far for it. For him there was a real dividing line. So all these years later, I certainly was trying to avoid tropes. I, I, I um, talked to, uh, you know, interviewed people, country western singer-songwriters, and just sort of, you know, and, and uh, documentarians who had, who had focused a lot on the region. So I, I kind of wanted to understand what the tropes were and how that could be avoided. Ultimately, I kept going back to, to the research that J.D. was handing me his movies his home movies you know him taking me to jackson kentucky and showing me the holler i know it's authentic because it is because we you know um but uh but it's not going to be everybody's experience from appalachia or the rust belt uh, so i you know i i recognize that as well My first family story that is based on real events, um, and, and uh, you know, other movies that I've done that well, Cinderella Man was arguably a family story as well. Um, but uh, I, I care about characters. I care about dimensional characters. I'm not that interested in bad guys. I'm really interested in the way people work together to 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 to, to try to achieve something. When you talk to JD he does not think of this as a pull yourself up by your bootstrap story at all. He thinks of it, you know, more as a rescue story. He feels that he, he simply would not have, have um, been able to achieve any of these ambitions, any of these goals w- without the, the important women in his life, especially Mama, especially Mama and his sister, Lindsay. That really interested me that this was a story about people who could have difficult uh, lives Packed with regrets, some of which they own, some of which they feel the victims of, you know, uh, circumstances. Um, But at a particular moment, they can have they will have the uh, they may have the opportunity to make a huge difference uh, in uh, in the life of somebody who they care about and, and perhaps, you know, and change the course of a family. himself leaned very heavily on his papaw and in his mind uh his grandfather papaw was was uh uh you know a, a great guy but after he passed he began to recognize that papaw had made some mistakes and it wasn't until he was older that he began to realize that it was in fact the women in his life who had made the difference um and uh when we were beginning to adapt the book, I said, what were the two most dangerous periods you know, in your life? You know, he cited these two times his, when he was 13 and 14. And then again, uh, uh, when he was at Yale, I was surprised by the Yale answer. I thought it might have had something to do with the Marine Corps, which was so important to him. He said, well, the Marine Corps was important, but uh, it was very it was primarily you know, almost 100 percent positive. It was Yale where it almost all came tumbling down and uh and i i i thought that was uh i thought that was very surprising but it was at yale that he began to realize that there was so much he could lose when he was a boy he he knew he he knew he felt bad he knew he wasn't happy but he couldn't see the forest for the trees so in a way at that time he didn't even recognize that he'd been rescued by his very heroic grandmother and I think, in a lot of ways, that's why he wanted to write the book, and, and it was the, and it was the thing that he was the most protective of when it came to adapting it. We couldn't get close to getting all of Mama's warts but she was she was wild, she was profane, she she was uh, uh, devout. I mean, she was all she was a paradox and a fascinating one. And Glenn really brought her together, brought her to life in a in a uh, powerful way. I thought you've always got a reason, it's always someone else's fault some point, you're going to have to take
3: responsibility, or someone oh, else what? is going to have to step in. Who? Oh, oh, ha! Oh. Who?
6: This was about these turning points in, in our lives that um, to anybody else on the outside, you, would, you might not even notice it's happening. But within your family, it's historic. It's seismic, and um, was trying to find those twists and those turns and those turning points in JD's life that were really the ones that we needed to dramatize. You don't get a lot of comfortable time in the movie, sort of uh, recognizing the you know the, the 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 times of peace and harmony, uh, of which there were some. But this is about these two these two periods where he was most in jeopardy emotionally and uh, and to some extent physically um, and where his future was most in doubt. And uh, and so uh, it was it was it was really filtering through his life, not just the book, but also all of these interviews and identifying something that we could present in the framework of an entertaining, engrossing, suspenseful, emotional movie narrative so that people could sit and watch it and lose themselves in it in the way you hope they will
1: that was Ron Howard check out his new movie Hillbilly Elegy it's out now
3: Jingle bells, jingle bells, jingle all the way Oh, what fun it is to ride in a one-horse open sleigh Jingle bells, jingle bells, jingle all the way Oh, what fun it is to ride in a one-horse open sleigh Dashing through the snow In a one-horse open sleigh Or the fields we go Laughing all the way
1: You're listening to Lauren Daigle. The song is Jingle Bells. It's Christmas, y'all Well, it's time for our weekly fall wellness series this week we talked to best-selling author neurosurgical icu trauma nurse and health expert tana amen about mental health brain health and a lot more remember this series is brought to you by uhsm member to member health sharing see why millions are choosing this christian alternative to traditional insurance ask if you qualify for uhsm membership today by visiting uhsm.com slash care
5: i been excited for this conversation. Could you start by maybe just giving me a, an overview of who you are and what you do?
0: So my name is Tana Amen. I'm the vice president of Amen Clinics. Um, I've written 10 books, but my new book, The Relentless Courage of a Scared Child, is very different. It's a memoir. Uh, never thought I would do that. It's, it's, you know, if someone doesn't like the nutrition advice you give, not a big deal. If someone doesn't like your personal story or they criticize it, yeah, that's a little more painful, right? So, um, but I just felt like it was time. I sort of felt like I was being called to do this. And um, so here I am. Yeah, it's um, Amen Clinics. We look at people's brains and we connect their their brain health to their behavior. And it's very interesting when you begin to do that, because you realize that behavior is complicated. It's easy to call people bad, it's harder to ask why. And so, yeah, so my new book sort of looks at at behavior and past childhood trauma through that lens.
5: Maybe we should define terms a little bit here, because it's an extraordinarily complicated situation. There's a lot of ideas out there about what brain health is, what mental health is. Can you address some of the common misconceptions you've come across and, and what the truth is?
0: Yes, so I'm a neurosurgical ICU nurse. So for me, it was science. It was like, I didn't want to deal with walkie talkies, people who talked, I didn't want to deal with any sort of mental health issues before I met my husband. I was like, I wanted him sedated and intubated. <laughs> like I was, that was just easier for me. I didn't realize how much that was really a, a testament to me sort of burying my pat, my own past. It's just like, I really didn't want to dig into to some of that stuff. Um, I never also realized that like when, when my husband talks about brain injuries at, at Amen Clinics, we actually have done so many studies that show that even minor brain injuries affect behavior. They affect the decisions you make. They affect the outcomes in your life. But when, as a neurosurgical life's I thought brain injury meant you cracked your skull open, right? Not true. Even minor injuries affect a lot of things in your life. So when you begin to see mental health through the lens of brain health, it changes everything.
5: That's interesting. So, how does having more empathy change that conversation around mental and emotional health?
0: Past childhood trauma is a big part of why we end up being so judgmental. I know for me, it's it's like the reason I was not—I just could not deal for the longest time with working with addicts, people with addiction. So, because I would label them as addicts, as opposed to seeing them as people with addiction, and so, but that's because there was so much pain in my childhood, so much pain in my family. When you begin to see it through the lens of brain health, when you begin to develop empathy, uh, for me at first, I was like, wait, do I really wanna do that? Because now I have to change how I feel about these people, right? I have to change how I feel about this entire group of people, how I've been thinking about things my whole life. But what I came to understand is this, just because you have empathy, it doesn't mean that there aren't consequences. It doesn't mean that you know, people who do something that hurt other people, it doesn't mean they're going home today if they're in jail, right? It just means that it begins to destigmatize it so we're able to have conversations. So we can begin to build bridges, not walls, so we can get proper treatment for people. But if we don't understand it, we're not going to do that. We're just going to say their problem, not mine. But it's not. It's all of our problem.
5: Something that comes up a lot when we at Relevant uh, have this conversation is we hear from people who who really lean into spirituality over science and even sometimes uh, ignoring science. Um, What would you say to someone who says, well, I've got my Bible and I've got my pastor. I'm good.
0: At Amen Clinics, we treat people through four lenses. Biological, what's going on with your body? Did you have a head injury? Do you have a thyroid imbalance? Did you have Lyme disease? Do you have some other infection that's affecting your mental health? Psychology, what is your thinking like? Are you controlling and managing your mind? Which is that is where... Prayer and the Bible are so wonderful and your community is so wonderful because that's really, I mean, the Bible talks constantly about managing your mind, right? About prayer. Um, So that's really important. Then there's the social circle, who you hang out with matters. Not going to church has been really hard for a lot of people. It's been hard for me because who you hang out with matters. If you're listening to the news all day and that's who you're hanging out with all day, it's gonna be very different than if you're hanging out with people on Zoom praying, right? The outcome is gonna be very different. People are contagious. And then there is the spiritual circle. Now at Amon Clinics, we treat people according to all of those. And we understand not everybody has our Christian belief system, but it's still important to understand what gives your life meaning and purpose. It's really critical because purposeful people live longer. They do better. They get well faster. It's really critical. So at our clinics, we believe that you have to treat people with mental health issues through all of those circles. Uh, We don't think they should be separated, if that makes sense. But if you had a heart condition, would you say, oh, I'm gonna ignore it, I'm just going to pray. We would still want you to pray, and we would want you to go get your heart treated.
1: That was Tana Amen. For more content like this, make sure to check out our wellness series every Tuesday and Thursday at relevantmagazine.com. Thanks, UHSM. Also, thank you to Ron Howard for joining us today. Make sure to check out his new movie, Hillbilly Elegy. It is out now. And while you're checking things out, check out the new issue of Relevant. It's available for free, thanks to UHSM, at relevantmagazine.com. Features uh, Matthew McConaughey on the cover. Letitia Wright is in it. Uh, Features with Jen Hatmaker, Lisa Turkers, Social Club Misfits, Brooke Ligerwood, and a lot more. There's also an awesome gift guide for your Christmas gift buying. We break down some of our favorite finds from across the internet. Go check it out. It's available now at Roll On that note, we'll wrap it up. I'm Cameron Strang. I'm Jesse Carey. I'm Jamie Ivey. And I'm Derek Miner. Have a great black friday weekend everyone don't spend too much
6: thanks for listening to the relevant podcast check out our features interviews and news updates every day at relevantmagazine.com and make sure to follow relevant on facebook twitter and instagram for the latest For more great podcasts, browse the shows on the Relevant Podcast Network, which you can find at our site. And while you're there, don't miss the all new era of Relevant Magazine, a new issue releases every other month at RelevantMagazine.com.